you know, we hear a lot of folks in my neighborhood in Ravenna who have said, I don't think it should be okay for people to sleep in tents on the path through Ravenna Park. But there might be a couple of places in the park where we're not doing restoration and they're not for active use where it could be okay for folks to be. I think that we're going to have to manage that on a kind of case-by-case basis. I don't have a good specific location for you, but that Ravenna example is the best I can get. That's the voice of Seattle City Councilmember Rob Johnson discussing a proposal he co-sponsored that will set rules dictating the city's response to unsanctioned encampments on public property. I'm Jeff Schulman, and today's special episode of Seattle Growth Podcast brings you more information about the proposed ordinance that could change the way public spaces are used in neighborhoods throughout Seattle. We're going to look at the implications of this ordinance from multiple perspectives. You'll hear more from City Council Member Rob Johnson. If the system isn't working, why wouldn't we want to reform it? Why wouldn't we want to change it? Why wouldn't we want to have more compassion? And you'll hear from City Council Member Tim Burgess. The basic core problem with the ordinance is that for the first time in city history, it will allow these unsanctioned ad hoc encampments on public property uh, around the city. Um, I don't think that's a smart move. It certainly does not do anything to cure homelessness for those individuals. In fact, it perpetuates it. To get an additional perspective outside of government, you'll hear from the CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association, John Scholes. The current approach to clearing tent encampments hasn't really worked for the neighborhood. So the current system and approach, I think, is is not where anybody wants it. However, the piece of legislation that was proposed earlier this month, uh, I think, would have uh, significant negative impacts on not just downtown, but neighborhoods throughout the city. And in its current form, establishes essentially a right to camp in many public places. This episode gives you a chance to develop an informed opinion on an important matter, an ordinance that Seattle City Council is planning to decide upon by mid-October. In episode three of the Seattle Growth Podcast, which is a 13-episode look at how growth affects residents, businesses, and city leaders, you had a chance to hear from members of Seattle's rising homeless population. People such as Ty Sanders, one reason I came up here, you know, they said they're eating, so I brought my fork. You also heard from someone working tirelessly to address the needs of the homeless, Executive Director of Mary's Place, Marty Hartman. We can end this if we work together. It's not one nonprofit. It's not won't be one city, one county, or one corporation that will do it, but we will do it because we come together to be in relationship with each other and help our neighbors in need. As a follow-up, this special episode of the Seattle Growth Podcast brings you up to date on the latest discussion on the issue, what to do with encampments on public land. City Council has released a draft of the ordinance, which you could find linked to on www.seattlegrowthpodcast.com. To get a better understanding of what the co-sponsors hope to achieve with this ordinance, I sat down with City Council Member Rob Johnson. I am here at City Hall with City Council Member Rob Johnson. Rob represents District 4. Uh, So before I begin, I want to thank you for your service to the people of Seattle. I'd Imagine it's no small sacrifice to be a public official. Thanks. Yeah, you know, the, um, there are very few of us that have little kids that are in elected office, at least in Washington State, and it's a bit of a challenge balancing having three kids under six and uh, a day job as an elected official, but we're having a good time with it. 
Uh, do you want to tell me just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a fifth-generation Seattleite. Um, live in the Ravenna neighborhood in northeast Seattle. Uh, I'm an urban planner by training with a real focus on transportation and land use planning. So here at the city council, I chair the planning, land use, and zoning committee. And we're responsible for a lot of the major zoning changes that are happening in the city. And I also serve on the Sound Transit board. So as we contemplate building out our light rail system, I'm very involved in that too. With this recent legislation or, or the proposal underway, uh, can you just tell me a little bit about the key points? One of the uh, reasons why I ran for public office is it felt like we weren't doing a good enough job at really trying to tackle our homelessness crisis. Um, that has to start with real solutions around long-term affordable housing, but it also has to recognize that there are solutions that we need to be advancing to change the circumstances for folks who are living outside right now. One of the things that I did very early on was go on a homeless encampment sweep and talked with some of the folks who were being swept that morning. And it came came really quickly to the conclusion that we were doing a very bad job of following our existing protocols and that protocols that we had in place just clearly weren't working. So at that point, started working really hard with advocates on both sides in the business community and in the um, homelessness advocacy community to try to come up with some solutions, the draft of which was released a couple of weeks ago, and we're actively still working on the legislation now, and I'm happy to go into more details, as I'm sure you might like. Yeah. Why don't you just talk about some of the highlights for those who don't um, have the familiarity to read the legal speak? So uh, the legislation, let's talk about the process briefly, where we just had a committee meeting uh, yesterday, which would have been Wednesday the 27th. Uh, we're planning to take up the legislation again in the middle of October and have the full council voted out by the end of October. So we've got about a month left of discussion, we anticipate. But the legislation in and of itself is pretty simple. It, it sets forth a lot of places where it's not okay for you to have a tent encampment. Parks, schools, uh, sidewalks in front of business areas. Um, and in that uh, way, it really clearly identifies that these are not places where we accept uh, it to be okay for you to camp. That also includes sidewalks in front of any residential area. Um, so we're not going to have homeless folks camping in front of people's homes or businesses. We're not going to have folks camping on active park space. But what it also does is it says we as a city need to be required to do a better job of outreach. So there's a requirement that says if you're in an, an encampment that is in an unsafe location, um, we need to move you within 24 or 48 hours. But if you're in an encampment that's in a, a in a safe location, a place we deem is uh, suitable, we are going to work really hard to give you a lot of outreach and give you a lot of access to services so that we can work to get you housed and inside. Um, it's a recognition that right now what we're doing is we're moving people from point A to point B to point C and then back to point A. And that movement around costs us a lot of money is a lot of wasted effort and isn't really solving the underlying problem of getting people connected into services. In the original proposal released, it said that the city had to give 30 days notice and to provide suitable housing if they're going to move them. Is that still in the current version? So uh, we've changed that a couple of uh, in a couple of ways to make it more clear what our intention was. If you're in an unsafe or unsuitable location and and city workers uh, find you there at your tent or your shelter, uh, we will help you with your stuff and we will get you out of that unsafe or unsuitable situation at that moment. Um, if you're not there, we will post and say you have 24 hours or 48 hours. We're still working on that level of detail before we will come and remove your 
stuff and here's the number that you need to call to get access to where your stuff is going to be located. Um, the 30-day rule is now being changed to sort of up to 30 days in a suitable location. And I think that the, the rationale for that is let's make sure that folks are getting real access to real services. That was the reason why we had that in there in the beginning, so that we knew that the city was doing its job in making sure that case managers were out working with people on a daily basis and working with them on what their needs are. And so you said not parks, not sidewalks, uh, not schools. Where does this actually apply then? What What's left? Great question. You know, I think that there are going to be unimproved areas of the city that may be on parks own land um, where we are going to allow folks to be. I think that will probably be a push for us to really think about um, a more diffuse set of strategies. I think one of the challenges that I've had with our uh, authorized encampments is that generally even when they're well managed, it's a large group of people, and a large group of people can oftentimes um, create circumstances where uh, folks with bad intentions are preying upon them. So whether that's drug dealers or whether it's folks who want to cite unrest, um, uh, you know, I want to see us allow for smaller groups of people who know each other to be able to be in safe locations. Um, the best example that I can give for you is, you know, we hear a lot of folks in my neighborhood in Ravenna who have said, I don't think it should be okay for people to sleep in tents on the path through Ravenna Park. And I also don't think that it's okay for people to be able to sleep in places where we're actively trying to do restoration in Ravenna Park. But there might be a couple of places in the park where we're not doing restoration and they're not for active use, where it could be okay for folks to be. So um, I think that we're gonna have to manage that on a kind of case-by-case basis. Um, I don't have a good specific location for you, but that Ravenna example is the best I can give. And so does the proposal have any corresponding funding for the housing and the outreach and social services that many of these people could use to get out of the situation they're in? So we just saw the mayor's uh, release of the budget earlier this week. Um, my expectation is that he has outlined for us that he's going to put additional resources into uh, both case management, but also uh, temporary solutions to help folks who are living unsheltered and get them into shelter. My hope in adopting this legislation before the end of October is that if if and when this legislation results in a need for us to have more city resources deployed uh, to help those who are living unsheltered, we have the time within our budget process to uh, adjust our budgets to reflect that. So uh, the short answer is yes, I do think it's going to require us to change some of the ways that we spend our money currently, and it may require us to allocate some more resources in that direction. But um, we're now actively working on what this means from an operational perspective, um, and that's going to really, that work over the next couple weeks will really inform our budget discussions in November. Some might assume that if the city had the capabilities and the resources to provide housing and services to those in need, uh, it would have done so prior to this proposal. Is that a flawed assumption? And if not, what do you anticipate as the implications of, of requiring that the city transition them to homes to be able to move them from where they camp? Great question. You know, generally, I think what we're um, what we're trying to accomplish in the long term is real reform to our current system, but also uh, a massive increase in affordable housing. One of the biggest challenges we have is 
uh, how do we keep people from slipping into homelessness? And that level of affordable housing and that mandatory housing affordability program will really result in a lot more production of affordable housing, which we recognize as a huge crisis in the city. You know, in the last five years, as you know, we've had 50 people move here a day, and we've only built 12 housing units a day. So our supply of housing is not keeping up with demand, and that's having a real impact on folks who are experiencing homelessness. It's creating a circumstance that's going to require us to be really responsive and building out a lot more new housing. Um, and it also means that in this interim space, until we have all the resources we need to build all the affordable housing that we can that we need in order to house folks who are living unsheltered. We've got to recognize that we need to change some of our protocols to deal with those folks living outside while we can create more long-term solutions. I want to give you a chance, if you want it, to tell the people why you co-sponsored this proposal and why you hope residents will support you in this effort. You know, uh, when I talk to folks at the farmer's market uh, about this issue, the thing that I ask them is, uh, if you think that the system is working really well, I hope you'll let me know. And the answer is unequivocally no. The system isn't working well. Regardless of which um, side of the political spectrum that you're on, folks uh, in my community in District 4 have told me they don't feel like the system is working. And so if the system isn't working, why wouldn't we want to reform it? Why wouldn't we want to change it? Why wouldn't we want to have more compassion? With the recognition that there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of folks that have a lot of concerns and fears. And to reiterate, this is not going to create circumstances where people are camping in, in your front yard on private property on school grounds, on playgrounds, um, on sidewalks in residential areas or in business districts. Um, but we also need to recognize we need to have a more compassionate approach, and that's the reason why I supported the legislation. Rob, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it, and thank you for your service to the people of Seattle. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to talk with you. To better understand the dissenting opinion, I turn to Seattle City Council Member Tim Burgess. I am here at City Hall with City Council Member Tim Burgess. Tim is one of the two citywide elected uh, City Council members. Tim, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Before we begin, I want to thank you for your service uh, to the people of Seattle. I'd imagine it's no small sacrifice to be a public uh, servant. <laughs> it's a great honor to serve uh, in this capacity. There are challenges, of course, but um, yeah, it's a great opportunity and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm delighted to do the work. And so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself for your motivation to serve the people? Well, you know, I grew up in Seattle. I've been here um, my whole life, uh, raised our three daughters here. We love the city. Um, I, I just, I'm especially focused on things we do to help children. I developed the Seattle preschool program and took that to the ballot. And the voters said yes, overwhelmingly. That was a a great win for our kids, and I continue to focus on what is going to prepare our children for success in life. In addition to helping the children, can you talk a little bit about some legislation that you've either authored or supported that has helped address the needs of Seattle's homeless population? Sure. Uh, I've been on the council nine years, and I have voted, as have my colleagues, consistently to fund programs that are going to help the homeless in our city, and others who are vulnerable. Um, but especially with homelessness, we have increased our funding dramatically uh, in those nine years. In fact, I was calculating a few weeks ago, we're in the hundreds of millions of dollars that we have spent on direct services to homeless individuals in our city. As we see the population rising and uh, that astounding number of dollars and resources put to the cause, 
what do you see as the reason why the numbers are continuing to rise as we're continuing to throw money at it? So homelessness is very complicated. There's no one reason why someone becomes homeless. Um, it's, it's complex. It's different almost for every person. Add to that the mix of drug addiction and mental health problems that are more prevalent in this population. And, you know, you've got a real complicated, difficult uh, issue to deal with. Um, I think the opioid, opioid addictions that we've seen increasing in recent years has certainly not helped. Um, the lack of mental health funding in the state of Washington does not help. You know, we're at the bottom of the list of all the states in terms of the resources we invest in mental health services. Um, and then you have to ask, are we being as effective and, and as efficient with our dollars as we could be? And the evidence suggests that we are not. And I think that's one of the reasons that the mayor has proposed this new approach, which is called Pathways Home. Uh, I firmly support those recommendations, and I think we can just do much better. One of the ways that city council is trying to help address the needs of the homeless is to set some rules as to how the city deals with unsanctioned encampments on public property. Can you talk a little bit about what you believe the implications to be of this proposed ordinance? So this ordinance was introduced uh, several weeks ago. I voted against its introduction because I thought it was seriously flawed. And the sponsors of the legislation also now realize that it is, and they're scrambling to, to fix the ordinance. I'm not sure it's fixable, but um, the, the basic core problem with the ordinance is that for the first time in city history, it will allow these unsanctioned ad hoc encampments on public property uh, around the city. Um, I don't think that's a smart move. It certainly does not do anything to cure homelessness for those individuals. In fact, it perpetuates it. And I basically ask, why would we do that when we know that other cities are far more successful in dealing with unsheltered people on the street than we have been in the past, and we should try to emulate their success? Can you talk a little bit specifically about the people who are homeless, what you believe this legislation, what kind of impact it would have on them? It certainly won't get them into housing because it will allow them to remain in these um, unsanctioned ad hoc encampments around the city. Even if services are offered to them and they decline for whatever reason, this ordinance says they can remain in these places. So again, I just don't think the ordinance is crafted well, and I don't think it's framework is going to do anything to help uh, homeless individuals uh, escape uh, out of homelessness and get into permanent housing. And you mentioned some other cities that might be doing a better job than Seattle. Can you give a little bit more details on that? So we have looked at five cities in the United States that are regarded as having best practices. That includes uh, Houston and Minneapolis, Las Vegas, Salt Lake City, New Orleans, uh, some others. And we've tried to learn from them what they've done. And um, they've been uh, much more successful than we have been in um, curing their unsheltered problem uh, on their streets. I was at a conference yesterday here in Seattle uh, put on by Harvard University on how to address issues of homelessness 
with an outcomes uh, framework. So in other words, here's the problem, here's what we're going to try to do, and here's how we're going to measure whether we got there. And it's interesting because Boston uh, last year had about 7,300 people who were identified as homeless, and 139 were unsheltered living on the streets. Boston is just a little bit smaller than Seattle. Seattle, in the same period, um, had 6,200 individuals sheltered and almost 4,000 living on the streets unsheltered. So my immediate question was, why is Boston doing so much better? And the answer is they have a very robust and extremely well-managed emergency shelter system that moves people through uh, the shelter and into housing. And we have a huge bottleneck in our shelter system. Some people have lived in our shelters for 5, 10, 15. There's a couple individuals for 20 or more years. That says to me the emergency shelter system is not working as it is designed to work. How do you think this ordinance will affect residents of Seattle who are not homeless? Over the last um, couple of weeks since this ordinance has been introduced, we have received thousands of emails and phone calls from Seattle residents. These are individual emails written by individual residents of, of our city, and they're very concerned about this. They don't want this proliferation of these ad hoc encampments and the associated problems that are inherent with these kind of encampments, whether that's the garbage and the exposed hyperdermic needles or sometimes the crime and violence that's associated with them. Um, people are concerned about that. And do you have any anecdotes or evidence as to whether that concern is valid or just irrational fear? It's probably a combination of both. Um, but take the East Duwamish Greenbelt, typically called the jungle under Interstate 5. Last January 26, we had uh, a mass shooting there. Five people were shot, three seriously injured, two killed. And the city announced that we were going to clean up the jungle and shut it down because of that violence, which, by the way, has been going on for several years. But then we became paralyzed, as we often do, and did not act. And just a few days before this ordinance was introduced on September 9th at 1020 at night, there was another mass shooting in the jungle. Fortunately, whoever was doing the shooting is not a good shot, and no one was injured. But there were at least three, maybe four people involved, four different firearms, semi-automatic pistols, a long rifle. The police recovered over 21 shell casings. It went on for so long and was such a drain on our law enforcement resources that we had to bring our mutual aid agreement with the King County Sheriff uh, to play to get more resources. The Metro bus uh, facility on Atlantic Street had to shut down and lock in place for several hours. This is a tragic event that exposes the people who are in the jungle to serious, serious harm, if not death. And I think that's why the council uh, earlier this week passed the resolution saying, yes, proceed with the cleanup of the jungle. It's extremely dangerous. Um, we have reports of rapes and robberies and assaults that happen all the time in these encampments. So what I've been advocating for is Let's make sure that we continue the compassionate response that Seattle's known for, 
but let's make sure we're being effective when we do that and fix those systems so they can be more effective while we also take care of our public health and safety obligations as city government. And I think we can do both of those for the benefit of all of the people of Seattle, including the homeless who are in our city. So as somebody who's studied this ordinance probably more than any of the the listeners here, can you tell us a little bit of some of the short-run or long-run implications that you see? Well, the most significant is that it makes uh, ad hoc encampments uh, like we've been talking about permanent in our city. Uh, And when you press the advocates of this legislation, some of my colleagues and outside groups, they will admit that even if services and housing are offered and individuals decline those services, they should still be able to live on public property in tents. And I just think that that is fundamentally uh, the wrong policy to be pursuing. It has other uh, specific uh, uh, sections that, uh, for example, creates a right of private action against the city. So if a homeless individual feels that we've violated the uh, terms uh, of this ordinance. They can be, be uh, paid $250 per violation. Um, we've never created that uh, right of private action against the city and the taxpayers of this city. I think that's a very poor policy. It restricts what the police can do to assist other jurisdictions that are within the boundaries of Seattle in removing trespassers or campers from their property. We have never restricted the delivery of police services for any reason uh, in our city, and I think that would be uh, a huge mistake as well. But bottom line, it doesn't do anything to cure homelessness. And so going to the cure for homelessness, which seems like a a lofty and and noble and important uh, objective, uh, can you give a little bit more specifics as to what you see as a better way or a better alternative to addressing the crisis we face here in Seattle? So I would follow the um, evidence-based national best practices on how to deal with homelessness, and that begins with a philosophy called Housing First, which actually started in Seattle um, many years ago, but has never been taken to scale in our city. Uh, And that's where we offer immediate housing, sometimes with support services in place right there at the housing. Uh, Plymouth Housing Group in Seattle does this amazingly well, effectively and efficiently. We should require that of our homeless service providers. Uh, We should be basing our public dollar contract awards on specific outcomes that are measurable so we can hold our uh, contractors accountable to the work that they're doing. Um, and, And we should fix our emergency shelter system so that it is in fact a throughput that moves people from the street to permanent housing as fast as possible, as opposed to a dead end where many individuals are living in these shelters for years. How important do you believe it is that listeners voice their opinion on this matter? It's very important. I I love to hear from people in Seattle, and I believe my colleagues do as well. So whether it's a traditional letter or it's an email or a phone call, that's very, very helpful. And as I mentioned on this particular issue, thousands and thousands of people are expressing their opinion. In your judgment, how likely do you think this is to pass? And if so, how likely do you think it represents the will of the people in Seattle? Well, I'm not sure I can answer the latter part, although 
probably over 80% of the people who are communicating with my office are opposed to this legislation. I think the legislation is likely to pass. Um, I have, I believe it's uh, 11 or 12 amendments that I will be offering. Uh, I think it's my obligation to do that, um, but um, I'm not particularly optimistic that this ordinance uh, will be fundamentally changed, but I will keep trying. What is the timeline that if somebody wants to express their opinion on this, uh, when should they do so? So the next uh, council date for action is October 10. I don't believe that will be the final action. The final action will probably come the following week, but uh, October 10 is the next opportunity for the council to be discussing this in one of our meetings. Do you have any concluding thoughts on this proposal or the homelessness challenge that Seattle faces? The only thing I would say, Jeff, is that um, it's very easy for people to run to their corners, if you will, on this issue, where you have some who um, view themselves as advocates for the homeless who run to their corner and say, you must do it this way, and you have others who run to the opposite corner and say, you must do it this way. And what I've learned in my nine years on the council is um, everybody along that spectrum has valuable input to give, and um, we can learn from all of them. Our job as council members is then to craft the balanced approach that's going to do the most good, that's going to actually help the most people, in this case, cure homelessness. Unfortunately, this ordinance does none of that. Tim, thank you very much for your time, and, and thank you for your service to the people of Seattle. Much appreciated. Thank you. My privilege. To get an additional perspective outside of government, I met with the CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association, John Scholes. I'm here with John Scholes, the CEO of the Downtown Seattle Association. John, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, John, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about the Downtown Seattle Association. Yeah, I think I've got the best job in town. I head up the Downtown Seattle Association, which was founded in 1958. We're a nonprofit membership association focused on creating a healthy, vibrant downtown and we we do that through political advocacy and uh, advancing public policy that is important to creating a vibrant city center uh, and through uh, direct programs and services that we provide to property owners employers visitors uh, and other folks in downtown and so you're working on building a healthy and vibrant downtown. What does that mean to the city as a whole? What does a vibrant downtown mean to the city as a whole? Well when you think of successful cities and in, in great cities around the country or the world uh, it's hard to find one that where the downtown isn't thriving so for a city to thrive the downtown's got to thrive uh, and uh, and when it does it produces lots of benefit for the city as a whole and tax revenue and a really strong brand and new jobs a great arts and cultural scene uh, so for the, the city to thrive, our downtown needs to thrive. And can you tell me a little bit about some of the programs you're most excited about and contributing to the vibrancy of downtown? Over the last year, uh, we focused on a new initiative to transform two existing parks in downtown, Westlake Park and Occidental uh, Park and Pioneer Square. And uh, over many years, they'd been spaces that were underutilized and in some cases, home to frequent illegal activity and not places you'd want to spend a lot of time. And through a partnership with the city of Seattle and a number of other organizations, uh, we've transformed those into places that you want to be. Uh, and we're working to create other spaces just like those. 
under a partnership with the city's human service department, we're managing an outreach program in downtown and up on Capitol Hill uh, where we employ case managers and social workers uh, that are on the streets every day trying to connect folks that are in need, that are homeless, that may be panhandling with services, with shelter, and with housing and employment. Uh, and we're doing that work uh, directly every single day so that uh, if you show up homeless in downtown that you don't end up uh, chronically homeless in downtown uh, and spend many nights and years in alleys and uh, on the sidewalk, but that you immediately have someone that can connect you to services, treatment, housing, and potentially a job as well. City Council is proposing an ordinance that will set some rules as to how the city can respond to unsanctioned encampments. Can you talk a little bit about what impact you believe this will have on downtown Seattle? Yeah, I would first say I think um, the current approach to clearing tent encampments uh, where homeless individuals have been living throughout the city hasn't really worked for the neighborhood. So the current system and approach, uh, I think, is, uh, is not where anybody wants it. However, the piece of legislation that was proposed earlier this month uh, I think would have uh, significant negative impacts on not just downtown, but neighborhoods throughout the city. And in its current form, establishes essentially a right to camp in many public places. And uh, so we're asking the council and urging them to modify that legislation to really identify the locations in our city that are just not suitable for camping. And in the case that there is a tent encampment in one of those locations to be really clear about the process for immediate removal. We have a significant crisis around homelessness in the city of Seattle. We're dealing with it here, but uh, other cities are uh, facing uh, this issue as well. We need to focus on creating more housing treatment capacity and jobs for people uh, that are out on the streets. Uh, and in the meantime, we need to be clear about those locations that are just not suitable for tents and outdoor camping. So what do you believe to be the effect of a right to camp on the surrounding businesses and residents? Well, we've got many public spaces in our city that have defined and regular public uses. And those places have important use every day and throughout the week. And we need to maintain the public's ability and right to access and use those spaces while we manage a significant crisis around homelessness in a situation where we do have people living outside in our city. The current legislation as proposed is not a responsible or a compassionate uh, approach to that in our opinion, and it warrants dramatic editing and modification. And you said it, you don't believe it's compassionate, but in speaking to the sponsor of that bill, he views this as a compassionate solution. Can you give more uh, explanation as to why you feel it might not be compassionate? Well, the compassionate and effective approach to, to dealing with folks that are homeless in our city is to uh, ensure that they get inside, that they have a roof over their head, that they're connected to treatment, that they have employment opportunities and other services. And that's where we need to be focusing uh, our efforts. And uh, the city just received a report from national experts that show that the current approach to funding those services and the shelter and uh, our investment in homelessness is not moving people out of homelessness uh, as quickly uh, as we should. And so we think our energy needs to be focused there so that we can 
uh, ensure that we don't have people outside, whether they're in tents, in doorways, or under bridges. And there are proponents of the ordinance that say this will force the city's hand to deal with uh, an important issue that's affecting thousands of people. Do you have any comment on that? Well, I think the um, the crisis that we see throughout uh, our city should be crisis enough uh, to make some dramatic changes to uh, how the city invests in homelessness. And we spend just about more than any other city in the nation directly on uh, this issue, uh, but we're not getting the results and the outcomes that everybody wants, which is moving more people uh, into permanent housing and out of uh, a state of homelessness, whether that state is in a shelter or outside uh, on the streets or in parks or in tents or bridges. And can you talk a little bit about some of your efforts to transition homeless people into houses and jobs in a brighter future? Yeah, we employ a number of individuals that uh, were formerly homeless or uh, in some cases are transitioning out of homelessness through our Cleaning Ambassador program, which uh, is funded by private property owners in downtown. We hire ambassadors to help keep the sidewalks clean and keep our public areas uh, free of litter and graffiti. So we are directly hiring folks uh, right off the streets in downtown. And we've uh, developed a new partnership with the United Way and the Millionaire Club where we're going out doing direct outreach in a van to individuals that are homeless but employable, that want a job. And we have the jobs, so we're trying to connect them to the work. So we're trying to uh, do our part to connect people to uh, jobs so that they then can uh, afford uh, a home. And for someone who's frustrated with the response to homelessness that they've seen and, and really wants to help and sees this ordinance as a potential way to be compassionate and help their fellow community members, what would you say to them? We all need to be engaged in, in fixing the system and uh, ensuring that the council takes this report from national experts and makes uh, and takes action on the recommendation to make change. And we really need everybody uh, that cares about this issue in Seattle uh, to be making their voice heard at City Hall around what are the long-term changes we need to make so that we can have a system that moves more people out of homelessness. Because we are spending a lot of money right now and we need to be getting better results for the dollars that are being invested. Do you have any more specifics as to what you would like to see? We really need the shelter system to be transformed. We've had uh, the shelter system essentially clogged where people enter the shelter system, but they never then make their way into permanent housing, which uh, is not great for them or the people behind them that may have become homeless after them that are looking uh, to get into the shelter system so that they can transition uh, out of it. So we have uh, a bottleneck of sorts uh, in the system uh, and and we don't have the right uh, type of shelter either. Uh, we, we need more 24-hour shelter options so that people aren't being kicked out at 6 in the morning. We need fewer barriers to people getting into shelter uh, and we need to get so that we can get people inside immediately. Do you have any concluding thoughts on this proposal or uh, the homelessness challenge in general? One, the, the, you know, the city uh, can do a lot and is doing a lot, but the federal and state governments also uh, need to step up. Uh, we are not adequately funding our mental health system. Uh, we have a, in, a major heroin epidemic uh, that has spread across the nation in small towns and in uh, big cities. 
so local governments can do their part. The business community can do its part, but uh, the nonprofits can do their part, but the state and federal governments uh, need to do their part around housing and treatment uh, and improving the mental health uh, system. John, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate your perspective and the work you're doing here with the Downtown Seattle Association. Thanks for the opportunity. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I encourage you to have your voice be heard on this issue. You could find the contact information for all of the city council members on seattlegrowthpodcast.com backslash encampments. Next week, we will return to our 13-episode journey into the minds of residents, businesses, and city leaders about how growth affects their lives. All previous episodes are available on iTunes and seattlegrowthpodcast.com, including episode 10, which looked at the future of Seattle mobility in light of the effect of growth on Seattle's transportation network. The next episode will look at how growth affects our Seattle public utilities. The episode features an interview with the former director of Seattle Public Utilities, Ray Hoffman, and the CEO of Seattle City Light, Larry Weiss. I'm also pleased to announce the panel for the Seattle Growth Podcast live event, which takes place at the Impact Hub Seattle on Monday, October 17th. In this event, I will moderate a panel discussion about Seattle's recent growth and the future of the city. In alphabetical order, the incredible panel members are John Connors, Managing Partner at Ignition Partners, John Creighton, who serves as President of the Port of Seattle Commission and appeared in Episode 10 of the Seattle Growth Podcast, and Maggie Walker, who's on the board of almost every civic organization in the city. Each of these three panel members has had a profound impact on the city and the people of Seattle. You will not want to miss this conversation, and the discussion will be preceded by a networking opportunity at a reception with appetizers and a cash bar. Tickets are expected to sell out quickly, and you can find more information and register at seattlegrowthpodcast.com backslash live. I hope you will join me next week for the Seattle Growth Podcast, and I hope to see you at the Seattle Growth Podcast live event on October 17th.